on episode 27 of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about smart water leak detection with Dan Sterling from Water Hero. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific technologies we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. Another week of insurance tech discussions. Always good to see and hear from my good friend, Rob Galbraith. Rob, how's it going, buddy? It's going, man. Actually, tomorrow is going to be my 46th birthday. So, Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. Another summer guy. So I was 7'7". Seven, seven, you're 8'8". Eight, eight. I'm 8'8". Eight, eight, and uh, this is probably TMI for this podcast. But um, So I'm, I'm divorced and remarried. I have a son from my previous marriage and I've been with my current wife for over 10 years. And for whatever reason, my ex-wife likes to schedule haircuts for our son. <laughs> she is a, a relative that does them on my birthday. And so she did it again this year. And I, I did do a mini rant. And I was like, look, I, I know we got divorced 2005. It's been a while. And I was like, but why can't you know, your mom remember my birthday. I was like, eight, 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 eight. It's not that hard. Right? It's not, not that hard. Not that hard. Every year, eight, eight. It's like, got to do it. And it was funny. So I texted her because she said, hey, I'm going to pick up Andrew for haircut on Saturday at 3 p.m. And I was like, yeah, okay. You know, as like, we, we kind of have plans. I was like, can you reschedule that? And she goes, well, I don't know. It's it's tough getting a haircut these days. <laughs> Jeez. I do my own. <laughs> birthday. I do my own. So I. I bought a razor and every other Saturday I just go in the shower and just I start at the 11 to 13 guard and zip, 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 zip. <laughs> and I go down the sides to the eight to 10. Then I go down to the, you know, the, the five to seven and I end up with the three on the back. And I've even worked out how to do my own fades and everything. So I seriously, I've never cut my hair in my whole life. And this whole thing, I was like, I, I hate long hair. I hate long hair. And so I, on myself, I mean, I don't, other, I don't care what people do with their heads, but <laughs> on my own, I can't stand it. And so, uh, yeah, I just cut my own hair. So you should, you should just grab a, a razor and just say, hey, I'll take care of it, honey. I got it. I got it. Just zip, 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 zip. Do, <laughs> do a daddy cut, man. That's your birthday gift to him on your he, birthday. That's true. Yeah. He, he is looking a bit shaggy school. He is around the corner, but I like it. I'll just texture the. That's what I'm saying. It's, hey, problem, problem solved. Just cut his hair for him. And, and with us from Boston, <laughs> Boston, it's where it's hard to park the car in the yard. Dan Sterling. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. What a beautiful way to end a busy week here, uh, geeking out with you guys. You know? Yeah. Like, I don't think we could have choreographed it better. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's been a busy week. I mean, uh, you know, people have kind of adjusted uh, over the last few months to to working from home and getting things done and keeping regular hours. And uh, what about you guys? I've had a pretty full meeting schedule and you know, getting work done. It's uh, it's weird. To, uh, today was a strange one because I started getting cancellations for conferences that are next year today. And yeah. I had a call with a client who hosts a regular, very large conference every uh, year in March. And today 
they made the decision to cancel 2021 in March. And I was like, wow. I mean, I've got, thankfully, I'm not in the conference business, right? Like, you know, we, we build software and we have our own products and services and stuff. So, but they, they got to, someone's going to have to just buck up and start holding an event at some point to, to get people off center because these poor hotels are going to go bankrupt. I mean, oh, yeah. It, it, You're right, James. So it's funny. I actually got invited from Herpical and Tech Insights to speak at their big event. They're based out of London, but they have a yeah. big event in the U.S. in New York, and it's invite only. They send, you know, invite like 800 to 1,000 of the, the top people. In fact, they started promoting it. It's in June of 2021. And so I was telling my wife and my family, I was like, it's, it feels weird to commit to do a conference in person in New York. I said, it's right after school gets out. I was like, we can all go as a family. That was like, I just feel weird talking. I said, I don't want to jinx it by talking about how Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> you have no idea if they're even going to hold events in 2021. You know what I mean? Like, who knows? Yeah. Who knows if they're even going to have them, right? Hey, have you guys done any online conferences? Tons. Like, I, yeah, I've done tons. I, tons. Yeah, and some of the platforms are looking pretty good, I have to say. You know, they, they have the uh, exhibit hall. They have the yeah. you know, different sessions. It's It's... You know, it's not the same experience, but I have to give them credit. I mean, someone's trying at least to come up with a better platform versus using Zoom or something. The the one weird thing, Dan, and you're right, like I've been to some of these and they, they seem to get fancier and fancier platforms. And I've been in lots of virtual green rooms, right? And they got to bring me on and then they get the weird part is the networking. Like some people have tried to have these networking apps or whatever. And I, I think I'm just... Again, I've already, you know, added myself as, as turning, you know, now getting on to, to late 40s. Like, <laughs> I, I, I've never done the online dating thing that was kind of, you know, after my time or whatever. But yeah, I think it's just weird to kind of drop in and try to set up like a one-on-one. I'm, and I'm good with Brella, at, you know, like I can use the tech to do a face-to-face at a conference. But I don't know. And, and most of the attendees I've said, uh, it's the same thing. So that's really the part, kind of that informal networking that is obviously the main reason you go to the conference in the first place, right? Um, right. Well, well, it's the beers after hours where the deals get done. You know? Exactly. That's the part <laughs> that's the hardest to to replicate in our virtual world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, so the, the most, unfortunately, the reality is most of the value of conferences come outside the official sessions and uh, at least for me and I've done uh, I've spoken at over 400 conferences I've attended wow. I've attended you know I I've, I've been a keynote speaker since 2005 and I've done you know 30 30 plus a year for 15 years so I've done all 450 events or something so and you know tons of the value happens outside of the official sessions and it's just hard to replicate that virtually I mean and I I've been to progressively better and better and better virtual events and they still don't hold the same energy or value as being face to face so they're going to they're going to have to figure it out eventually you know say la vie right now for now for now we ain't having nothing but hey we do have baseball you know my cubbies are back to playing go with cubbies. exactly go cubs go my cubbies are back to playing they have cardboard fans in the seats in austin texas in austin texas they have actual live fans in the seats in round rock the round rock express it's a minor league team there it's like a triple a team there in round rock north of austin they, they have fans and seats they just spaced them way out but it was pretty cool they're actually doing live you have to have masks on to get to your seat take them off when you're at your seat they skip every row and they have 10 feet between people it works right. it actually works it's so it's kind of neat. Well, let's talk about let's talk about let's talk about insurance. <laughs> let's talk about insurance. Although although events is certainly something that we want to talk about. Remember uh, out there, if you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can text Geek Out to six six eight six six. 
so you just never miss an episode. We're doing it every week, and we, you can get on our email list and, and get our show notes, and we do a transcription of the whole episode. It's pretty cool, so check that out. You also go to insuretechgeek.com. Back to our interview. Dan Sterling, water hero, Boston, Massachusetts, but he's a Cubs fan because he's from Chicago. We love talking about insurance. We love talking about tech, but first we're going to start about talking about you. You're a serial entrepreneur, and you've done some cool things in your life, and I want to talk about those. You got a BA in economics from Carleton College. You got an MBA from Harvard. Harvard. Harvard Yard. Pactica. and Harvard Yard. You got an MBA from Harvard. You, you're you still in Boston. And you've had, from 1980 until now, you've you've really spanned the gamut of different things from bread to ketchup to, you know, <laughs> I mean, you, you know, to TV, to to pipe. I mean, it, it really, it's not pipe. It's actually firewalls, secure pipe. <laughs> but, but I mean, you, you really, you really span the gamut. So just talk to me about, tell me about your childhood. When, when you were a kid growing up, what did you dream of doing? And then what's this crazy road that led you to this point in time? Yeah. You know, it's funny. So I was a classic kid growing up in Chicago, three paper routes, made my, you know, so I'm like Rob. Rob, I'm inverted. I'm next August 17th. I'll be 64. So you're turning 46. I'll be 64. But yeah, you know, so I grew up in Chicago and I had to throw it in because I made my first thousand with my three paper routes. I was in Chicago Tribune, Chicago Daily News. Remember where there used to be two newspapers at the time? Yeah, right. And then I grew up in Oak Park, Illinois. So we delivered the Oak Leaves as well, but doing my three newspapers. And I really, in high school, I said, told my parents, I want to be pre-med. I want to go to med school. I was really interested in science and math. And I, I've been a geek since before it was even fashionable. It's cool now. But, you know, in 19, you know, in, in 1968, it wasn't cool to be a geek. But anyways, I, I, I you know, wanted to be pre-med. And but I had this vision because my brother had broken his leg and we went to a surgeon called Boone Brackett was the orthopedic surgeon. I thought it was so cool because this guy had like 10 locations. And I'm thinking, that's what I want to do. I want to become an orthopedic surgeon, all of all these locations. And my parents said, no, you're going into business. You're not, that's, you don't go into meds. You don't go into medicine because of that. You go into business. So <laughs> they corrected the course. I decided to you know, forget med school. Plan B was I, I'd get an MBA. And I pretty much held true to that. So I, I, I still took a lot of math and science courses. I'm still a health nut, too. I, I do love health and uh, nutrition. And that that's another hobby. But I think the general theme, I've got entrepreneurial ADD, real, real bad case of that. So I'll typically do something for about five years, go real deep on it, and then want to learn something new. So that, that's been pretty much my track record, how I've gone from, I started in consumer packaged goods out of business school. So I was with the Arita Foods Division of H.J. Hines. So you know, we were selling a billion pounds of crinkle cuts and tater tots. So I uh, cut, cut my teeth in that arena and then got the idea for my own business. So I was self, self-employed from 1983 on. I've been doing my own businesses. So I lasted three years in corporate America with H.J. Hines and Boise Cascade Corporation. And then I've been doing a variety of entrepreneurial things. But same thing with bread. I, I just fell in love with bread. I like, you know, sort of like the Italian bread we grew up with in Chicago and, you know, couldn't find it anywhere. So I actually, I was in between businesses, as they say, and getting bored. And I, I helped this guy for free. There was a French trained baker. I helped him with his books. I computerized his operation. He's taught me to bake. And I decided I wanted to do world-class European bread. So we actually won a medal at the National Restaurant Show. We were written up in Bon Appetit as one of the top 10 bread stores in the country. So, you know, I, I 
I, I, I took that interest in fermentation, then joined a winemaking club. <laughs> so that that's the real fun fermentation. But yeah, along the way, then I, I had developed a real interest in technology, like during the dot com era, it's hard not to, you know, just turn around and, you know, Cisco was going to the moon. Companies were just valuations were just going crazy. So I sort of it breads about as old economy as you can be. So I retreaded myself into technology. And a friend of mine from business school said, hey, I have this interesting company in Madison, Wisconsin called Secure Pipe, but they needed adult supervision. And so at that time, I was probably closer to your age, Rob, and <laughs> decided, uh, yeah, let me give it a shot. And I, I went pretty deep on it. I actually got my CISSP degree, which is a certified information system security professional. And I remember like all the techies, because I, I was a business guy. And it's all these, you know, average age was 26, super smart young guys. I was in my 40s. And they're like, holy crap, Dan got a CISSP. So they all had to run out and get their CISSPs. But it helped me. I could go out on sales calls. I could architect the security solution for a financial institution. You know, firewalls, DMZs, you know, virtual private networks, secure email and all that. But what's interesting is that that company was called Secure Pipe. We merged with Trustwave out of Chicago. And we ended up selling for close to a billion dollars to uh, the National Telco of Singapore. But the interesting thing is that CISSP, I'm now applying to water damage risk mitigation because we used to have to work with these banks to develop network security risk mitigation programs because they were examined by the FDIC and the Department of Treasury, depending on the bank charter and registration. So we had a whole elaborate framework that we had to develop. And I realize now that those security principles are the exact same, whether you're talking water damage for a commercial building, network security for a financial institution, internet, that it's all about layers of security and just making judgments. I, I mean, I used to tell customers at Secure Pipe, if you want 100% security, I've got it. Here's a scissors, cut that connection to the internet because there's no 100% security. And it's the same thing in water damage too, you know, in commercial insurance. There's always going to be vulnerability. So I think the framework that I'm working on is to apply that same cost-benefit analysis. You know, look at the data. You know, where are the greatest risks in a commercial building? And what's the appropriate spend to mitigate that risk? And so we're getting a lot of interest from insurance companies. I mean, honestly, a lot of tech has not been employed in this area. And, you know, so we're, you know, what we're passionate about is changing that because there, there's a lot of cool tech and it keeps getting better and better. So hopefully that gives you a good segue, James, into a... Yeah, oh, I ended up going some secure pipe. Now I'm with Water Hero. Exactly, it's still pipes, just digital versus physical. I mean, look, water damage is it's, it's like the top issue in buildings, and certainly, I mean, there's there's a lot, a lot, a lot of dollars and claims that go to pay for water damages, and insurance companies are very interested in preventing water damage with simple solutions because you know, it's a pretty big source of their combined yeah. of either losses or gains that they have on their insurance operations. So. Just tell, tell me how it works. How does this actually work? Yeah, basically think of it like a security system for your water. So we, we have different type units, but for example, we have one condo project. They had so many problems with water damage, the insurance company wasn't going to renew them. They, they had 170 units. So they ended up putting a water hero, a residential size. We have a three quarter inch and one inch size that are typical residential units on every single condo unit in a 170-unit condo complex. And they're right next to a major university. And they had a lot of problem that students were there, professors were there, they'd be gone weeks at a time. And you know, when a pipe breaks in that situation, you don't damage one unit, you damage a the lot. fourth floor and everything underneath it. So 
you know, so, so that's one very extreme application is to take every single office or room that has a, a cold water feed and secure that. And what, what we do, it's really pretty simple. We, we take a utility grade water meter. So the same water meter the city of San Antonio would use. These are built to American Water Works Association specs and accuracy for billing. They're, they're robust brass. They weigh about 10 pounds. You can't drop these on your foot. And we put that right in line with the motorized ball bell shutoff. And then those are connected within about six feet. We have a main controller box and that has a very powerful local microprocessor made by Texas Instruments. So got to, got to call yep. out the uh, yep. Texas Philly. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So we use a TI microprocessor that, that's local. And then there's a Wi-Fi chip so that the unit can connect to the building's Wi-Fi, or in this case, and and 170 units, we we connected to the individual condo owners' units. That data gets up to the cloud, and then you can control your water from anywhere in the world. So, like you know, I could do a webinar with you and allow you guys to shut my water off here in Boston from anywhere you have connectivity, really. So we we do two things: we just protect you from burst pipe damage, and we also provide real-time water usage information, which about 60% of our customers end up saving money on their water bill. And a, a lot of times, a real common culprit is like eroded toilet flappers. Yep. Like we, we've had several golf courses buying water heroes for their clubhouses because they have these huge water bills. They have shower facilities. They have public bathrooms. How many times have you walked through like a public shower facility and people just leave the showers running? No one cares because they're not paying the water bill. And in some areas... That can add up. We had one huge condo complex. They had an underground leak that was feeding their uh, pool house. And you only get your water bill every quarter in that area. That's in Princeton, New Jersey. They went through 600,000 gallons of water. 60,000. Yeah, 600,000 because it's all underground and it wasn't bubbling up. And so they had a surprise 60,000 extra on their water bill. Oh, my God. And we would have picked that up the first, you know, right off the bat. And so, it, it, it went on for three months until they got their water bill. And they're like, what is going on? Here? So how does this, how does it detect? Does it look for abnormal flow through the, the pipe rather than putting sensors around to see if it's leaking? Is it, it looks- yeah, ours is called a whole building uh, leak protection. So what we're doing basically is we have two type of triggers. And think of it like a occupied mode and an away mode. And so the first type trigger is just continuous flow. So in my house, for example, I'll use that. I've got it. So if water runs for more than 10 minutes continuous, when we're in home mode, I get a text alert. If it runs for 20 minutes, I get a text alert and there's automatic shutoff. So it's great because now the kids know they can't take 45 minute showers and saving money on the water. <laughs> right now. It shuts I off like a good long minutes. shower though, man. Well, and if you want in a matter of seconds, you can go to our mywaterhero.net and you can change those settings. If, if someone needs an hour shower, you can adjust that to 61 minutes, but then it's shutting it off, <laughs> whatever you want. But then in away mode, I have it set at one minute for warning and one minute for shut off. Now, sometimes people have an ice cube maker, so they'll set it to two minutes, but it puts the user in control. So that's one type of trigger, time-based. The other one that's really popular in a big building is just flow over time. So we have the ability to say, if more than X gallons runs over Y amount of time, give me a heads up, text alert. Yeah. If more than Z flows over W, send me a text, but also shut it off. And, and those variables 
you can go from one gallon to 10,000 gallons and one minute to 60 hours. So it's a matter of studying the data. So you could be in a 60-story building and say, it's very rare that we ever use more than 500 gallons in 20 minutes. And so it's, it, in a sense, it's funny how this ties back to my internet security days. We were doing anomaly detection on networks. You're still we're doing, doing anomaly detection yeah. on water. I was going to say, you're still doing anomaly detection because yeah. you've, you're writing a software program that becomes really good at, at analyzing flow patterns, right? Right. Now, now, we've had some other people on this show who are in a similar business, sure. and they have trained their little, of course, everybody says AI. Okay, they're using a little machine learning algorithm that's you know improving as they compile their model that is looking at flow pattern analysis and it's saying, hey, you have a toilet leak on floor three, you have a sink leak on floor four because because of the the, the way that pattern looks like, you can tell what kind of a leak it is. Can you do that right. with this? Right now, we're not using AI customer facing; we're using it in the back end, but we just don't think it's ready for prime time right now. Yeah, and actually, our our CTO is you know he teaches artificial intelligence and machine learning part time at Boston University. Yeah. So he's chomping to the bits to do it, but he thinks right now it's probably only about like 67% accurate. And, you know, it's funny, we're working with another company in Cambridge. They do data disaggregation for electric mains. And, you know, they, they have 10 data science scientists from MIT. I mean, they're going at this pretty hardcore, but they still don't have 100% accuracy. They can tell you, we think that's your TV, that's your refrigerator, but it, it we just don't think it's ready for prime time yet. So... We, we put our users in control, which is nice because we don't get false positives. Because to me, false positives are the kiss of death from an insurance standpoint. It's like, it. it's like the smoke detector that chirps. How many of you guys have pulled the battery out of the smoke detector? All right. Yeah. It's the same thing on the water. You know, there's some other good companies out there, but, you know, too many false. Some people are like three strikes. That's the third false alarm. And they just disarm it. So there, there's no mitigation at all for the insurance company. So it's not a perfect world. Like I said, if someone tells you they have 100% security, run, run really fast. It's not out there. But can you mitigate 90 some percent of the risk? Yeah, you sure can. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Rob? Yeah, great, great conversation. I just want to pick up on a couple of points that you both made. So James, you're spot on, right? In terms of water, water, water. You know, when I was working in an underwriting space, at a very large personal lines carrier. Yeah, this is it. And I've been on those claims ride-alongs. I've seen that that water damage. In fact, I've personally had a, a water loss at my previous home. We had just moved in, you know, a month in, had a situation where, you know, water just completely flooded the first floor, basically, while we were sleeping. And so I woke up in the morning and came out and there was a little, little pond there. And so, yeah, you know, obviously I had to rip up the entire flooring, had to come, have Surpro come in, bring all the big fans and all that. So had we gotten some type of alert, notice, et cetera, easily could have you know, mitigated that, that damage. So definitely feels like a compelling product. And yet, I will tell you, Dan, that yeah, this has been a space that's been explored from insurance companies for you know at least five years, if not longer. And there's definitely a devil in the the details. I would say you know some of them have been uh, simply alerting, you know, where it, it just has an audible noise or something, right? But it doesn't actually actively shut off the water. Others, you know, as these have evolved, have gotten to the point where it can look at that what they call your water signature, right? So we can tell there's lots of water activity in the morning. And then we can tell the kids go to school and mom and dad are going to you know, work because there's not much going on during the day, right? And then we see you come home or whatnot. And they've been trained to like, hey, shut the water off anytime you see you know, any abnormal water usage. And then 
turns out, right, Junior was sick that day and was taking a shower at 10 in the morning and it shut the water off on him, right, and, and, and things like that. So, yeah, just kind of curious, you can talk about both the, the personal line side and then I know you moved into the commercial line side where, again, I think there's even more opportunity here. What are some of those obstacles that you've encountered as you've kind of developed over the years at, at Water Hero? And what remains, I guess, you know, unsolved or, or what are some of the ones that, you know, you're, you're kind of currently grappling with? I, I think part of it is just a natural conservatism of insurance companies. I, I mean, that's been the number one obstacle. I've been talking to insurance companies since 2014. So when we first came out, I, and this is more from the residential side, but you know, we had we were under NDA with basically all of the top ten residential insurance companies. A couple of them took us under our arm. We were in some invite-only insured tech programs out in Silicon Valley back in 2015. We've been in test homes of insurance companies, but the bottom line is they move really slow. But I'm starting to see a tipping point. This is more on the residential side where. We have we have one insurance company that we have a really close relationship now, but they insure a lot of high-end homes. And their average water damage claim is a hundred thousand dollars on a home. Their Jeez. average. Yeah. And so I, I I did the math in the back of the envelope and you can figure out basically I I figured out like every time they write a policy, they need to escrow $2,600 a year forever for water damage. They, bottom line, they should be giving devices away. <laughs> yeah. But still, it's uh, until, again, they're, they're very actuarial driven. They're very conservative. And I don't think the industry's moved that quick. Now, what I'm seeing, which is interesting though, is so a lot of companies have started offering premium discounts, and I think this will carry over to commercial too, and it's starting to, but that really doesn't move the needle that much. What I see one major company doing now is they they've looked at their data real carefully and they said our worst nightmare are vacation homes. And so they're saying any vacation home we write over $500,000 coverage. They're doing this and they're testing this in New York state, but it's a national company. They're just mandating. It. So they're just saying we will not underwrite you. We don't care if you if we lose your business, just go somewhere else. So I think what what my crystal ball is showing me is I think in the next 3 to 5 years we're going to see more on the residential side, and I think this will carry over to commercial though, more companies saying, all right, this is how we're approaching water damage. Because it is, it's about 30% of claims. It's typically, uh, it's their number one controllable cost. I think they're just going to say, you know, we tried premium discounts. The the uptake honestly is miserable. It's not very impressive. They're just going to start mandating, I think, because I'm seeing this from one of the biggest companies in the country. And I think I've actually sold technology in the insurance companies before. I mean, I was selling social media services as a part-time gig for a while. And they're very slow to do anything until one big player jumps in. And then everyone else. <laughs> but no one wants to be the first company to take the risk to say, yeah. I'm putting my career on the line. And we're going all in on leak detection. So I think eventually some company, some major company is going to do that. And they're going to say, you know, just like they were so cautious about social media. And finally, you know, one of the big banks went in and then everyone followed after them. The same thing in insurance. So that's, that's what, that, that's my prediction, guys. That, that, let's check back three to five years, but I think you're going to see it moving from, we'll offer you a five to 10% premium discount to it's just mandated. It's funny you mentioned that, Dan, I completely agree with you about the, nobody wants to be the first mover. And you know, if somebody wanted to throw a few million dollars at me, I'd start my own carrier. Or if I ever, you know, were in charge, right, which will never happen, be a top CEO. 
I think I would just be the first to everything because that <laughs> company doesn't exist, right? And I yeah. would, I would adopt every single thing. And again, kind of like from a venture capital standpoint, right? I don't need them all to pan out. I only need one or two to pan yeah, out. That-, <laughs> that should win her. So why not? Why, why do we not have this insurance carrier that is the first to everything? Like, I don't understand why that doesn't exist. <laughs> no, 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 especially as a serial entrepreneur, it, it, it does bother my mind <laughs> because I, if nothing else, you know, some of these companies are paying out $2 billion every year. They will over the next 10 years, they will pay $20 billion. Yo, how about take, why don't we roll the dice with like 50 million? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wild. I mean, because you, you're in organizations who pride themselves on risk, right? You're, yeah. you, you literally are selling risk. You know, you're saying, I will buy your risk. And uh, yet they're extremely risk averse. And, and, and it's wild because, the, you know, certainly the VC model is not predicated on everybody hitting out of the park. In fact, the VC model is predicated on about two out of every 10 having wild success, three out of every 10 completely failing, and, and the, the middle, the other five, just returning capital. In other words, just kind of being a wash. That's, that's generally the 253 VC model that doesn't always work out. Like when there's a really yeah. bad time, like that, that all gets blown up and then VCs go out of business. But it's really fascinating. That's usually, you know, the model. And, and, and more often than not, it works out fine. And, and in my own business, Rob, it took me seven product failures until I had one that was successful. And the one that was successful was so successful that it was it wildly overshadowed the seven failures I had to shut down. And right. I just and I've got three products I'm running right now, and I'm still swinging. I'm looking at oh, maybe I should do a fourth. You're like, why not? Like, if you lose a little bit of money, it doesn't really matter. If it returns capital, okay. You know, some of these will return capital. Some will be wild success. You know, very few will be wild success, and the rest, you know, will have a couple of failures. But it's interesting, Rob, because I think in insurance companies, it's not how they think at all. Three a thirty percent failure rate is you're going to lose your job. I think I honestly that if I mean you and I both know a lot of insurance executives. If you told them that they would have a thirty percent failure rate on initiatives they tried, they'd be like, "I'm going to lose my job if I get a thirty percent failure rate." Right, right, right. The, the other interesting thing, I, I did this looking at it from a CFO standpoint, and again, some of these some of these biggest companies spend two billion dollars every year. And I looked at it, especially for the public companies. I said, look, if you can take, if you can take $10 million of that risk off the table, that's money you're saving every year. If, if you're a public traded company at 22 times multiple, you're going to put $220 million in your market cap. If you can take, you know, if you can take $10 million of that risk off the table. And, you know, so again, there's huge dollars to be reaped here. I, I mean, this, and it's their number one area. So I would be prioritized saying, you know, we've got to spend money this is our number one controllable claim. Let's solve this. Yeah. The other interesting thing, Dan, and I've had a lot of conversations with friends in this space over the years. And, and James, we've had one of those on Pankaj Pashar from Purple Ant uh, a few episodes ago, right? And, and so he's a bit in this space. Now he doesn't sell the hardware, right? He's kind of hardware agnostic and kind of on the software, but we've talked about water claims with him. And one of the things that I think we've continually puzzled over is that in the past, if I'm actuary, right, if I'm an underwriter and I'm trying to assess the risk, I, I don't know, right, the quality of your plumbing in your building. I, I can't really assess that, right? It's behind the walls and all that. So I'm going to use proxies for that. I'm going to look at the age of the home. I'm going to look at the type of construction. I may ask you, right, have you redone the plumbing, right? Things like that. I may look at, you know, prior losses, things like that. But those are all, you know, essentially a proxy for what the, the, the risk of a water leak is. 
with your hardware, your devices, all these IoT sensors, like, you know, <laughs> like I can tell you exactly what's happening, right? I see the flows and, and, you know, you also catch, you know, those near misses, right? That, that leak that uh, maybe somebody did catch in time and they mopped up with a bunch of towels, right? They never did report it to the insurance carrier, but as a carrier, you'd want to know about that, right? That's that canary in the coal mine, that kind of false alarm that, you know, may alert you to, Hey, a big claim is, is going to occur, right? If these continue. So yeah, it is kind of fascinating. I do feel like it's a, over time in having these conversations, it's just a total mental shift, right? It's a paradigm shift. You cannot do business the old way, you kind of have to make the leap and, and when and how that happens, I think is, you know, fascinating and kind of up to debate, but I think it's really kind of around this part that we're, we're, we're talking about. I, I'm interested, Dan, as kind of a follow-up, you mentioned personal being ahead of commercial. I don't disagree with you there at all, but I've always thought that part of the problem is, right, each individual homeowner, right, unless you've gone through that pain of a water claim or whatnot, you may not see the, the value proposition as strongly, but if you're right, uh, a condo owner, or if you're running, you know, commercial properties, because you can get it at scale, you mentioned, you know, 170 unit property, things like that. Just kind of curious, like, you know, is that the way of the future? Do you think commercial will ever get ahead of personal lines in this space or, or building owners? What, what's been the, why the slow adoption on the commercial side? Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure why that is, to be totally honest with you, Rob, but I think it is starting, it is starting to change. But I think a lot of it's probably not a, a really great familiarity with all the different technologies out there and, and how to really deploy them. But I, I, like I said, I think this is, I, I see we're at a tipping point in the next three to five years where it is going to change. And the, the products between residential and commercial, it's the exact same concept and they're, they're the same type products. So I think they will you know, cross those borders between the two. But yeah, I, I, I don't know why commercial's been a little bit less receptive to it for some reason. But yeah, on the residential side, I see it, I really see it changing with some CEOs just pounding the table now. Like you can look at the annual reports and they're just saying like our number one claim is water damage. We got to do something about it. Yeah. We do a lot of work up in Canada too. And in Canada, it's 45% of claims water damage. You know, so it, it's just it, snow it, and ice, man. Yeah. Snow and ice. Yeah, like water penetration is a big deal. Let's. I just want to get in the guts how this works, right? Sure. All right. You go on waterheroinc.com, uh, waterheroinc.com. You spend six hundred ninety nine dollars. You get a three quarter right. meter. You get a three quarter meter in valve located indoors. So I'm going to do an indoor location. Let's say I'm going to do an indoor location. Indoor location, three quarter inch uh, meter in valve. You can add it to your cart. Check out. It's six ninety nine plus right. shipping plus shipping and tax. It shows up at my at my house. How am I going to be able to do this? Or am I going to bring a plumber in to do this? No, we recommend you bring a plumber in. And so, so I call the plumber. How long is the plumber going to spend putting this on? It takes the plumber about an hour and 20 minutes. So what we do is we send it to the homeowner first and we actually have a, a label in there right on the top of it saying before the plumber gets there, we want you to pair it to your home network. So the homeowner needs to do that because there's no sense paying the plumber to do that for you. A lot of times people don't even know what their SSID is. Yeah. They don't know what the password is. The password's case sensitive. So we tell them, go ahead and set the unit up on your network and then bring it down to where you want it to be installed eventually too, just to make sure you have the proper Wi-Fi signal. And then once they do that, then we say, go ahead and schedule the plumber. But it, it, it's for the plumbers, it's a pretty straightforward install because we're using components they like. I mean, our initial design was this real sexy looking one piece design and the plumbers hated it. 
you know, and they, they had a lot of good points. You know, they were plasticky. Like a lot of devices weigh 1.9 pounds. They're plastic and the plumbers are like, I am not putting that in my customer's house. So they want the brass water meters they see every day. They're used to working with them. Those things are tanks. Those things are really reliable. And so they, they want something they're, that's solid, robust, they're comfortable with. But it, it takes them about an hour and 20 minutes. Where's it going to go in? Is it going to go in near my head end where the water's coming into the house or where, where's it go? Yeah, the basic concept is you want to install it as close to water entering the house as possible because everything from our device downstream is protected. So in my house, for example, I have my water comes in below the frost line into a basement. So it's about a foot and a half off my basement. I've got, I have my city meter. So I've got a city water meter and then it makes a 90 up to my first floor. So my water hero is installed right. It's installed in a vertical orientation right in my basement. So everything from that point on is, is protected with these different time limits as well as the, the flow over time. And so it's the closer you get to where water first enters the house, the more protection you get. But you got to have power, right? Yes. It plugs into wall power. So it's the same type adapter that would run your smartphone. So it outputs five volts. We also do have a backup rechargeable lithium polymer battery inside our unit. So that can that can run and protect your house for up to four days of powers out. Gotcha. But then it reverts an old school device. You just won't get a text alert because we don't yeah. have that connection to the internet. But it will still, that TI microprocessor will still act on the triggers and automatically shut the water off. And that's, I want to stress this. The insurance companies, they really want the mitigation. They don't want just an alarm. They want to know if something's abnormal, shut the water off. That they're, they're, they're very, very adamant on that. Okay, awesome. Well, uh, Rob, any closing questions or comments? Yeah, Dan, I'm, I'm just curious. We can share a little bit about new construction. I know, James, I don't know if you've ever lived in a house in Texas that had this, my previously home. They put the water heater, we had two of them, right? The water heater for upstairs, water heater for downstairs. They were both in the attic. <laughs> and so, you know, typically they're in the garage, right? So if it leaks in the garage, like, it le- and usually there's a drain or something, right? Not like in College it, Station. It not Mo- be a big deal. Most houses are in the attic here. It's weird. It's insane. And so, yeah, like if one of those things bursts and they tend to reliably burst you know, every 10 years and, and sooner here in Texas, because our water's so darn hard, right? So it could blow at seven years, even though you're supposed to be good for 10. Now you have a huge mess on your hands, right? Because it's, you know, gone through the ceiling and, and getting in the drywall and all that. So, uh-huh. you know, just curious, have you made any progress with builders, right? Either again, on the residential side or the commercial side, to try to get these in at, at new construction rather than to kind of retrofit existing home or building stock. Right. We're making more progress with high-end builders on the residential side, for example. On, on the lower end of the market, they are concerned about every penny. So as much as it makes sense, they just don't want to spend, they don't want to spend the extra money to install the smart technology. Whereas on a high-end home, I think they view it as an amenity and they 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 want to they they know that that buyer is going to demand a smart you, home. You know the reality, Dan. At entry level and lower end price points, customers will not pay more money for it, and they right. and they know it. I mean, I know a boatload of home builders, and they buyers. It's amazing how how few s somethings they give about <laughs> about their house. It is it is appalling how much they do not care about the ongoing maintenance and operations and usability and maintenance of their house. They 
do not, they fully intend on deferring all maintenance. They fully intend <laughs> like these the same this is the same people that just don't factor in that like you should have your HVAC service twice a year. Like every home needs to be serviced twice a year, once in the spring, once in the fall. Before before summer, before winter, it should be serviced. It's a machine that runs all the time. And and, and your total cost of ownership of HVAC will be lower if you put that money in servicing the equipment. It'll actually your equipment will last longer and your total cost of ownership will be lower. They do not care. It is amazing the deferred maintenance mentality. I had a whole home water shut off in my last house. I'm looking at, at, at actually getting your unit into my house in Texas because it would be devastating to have a water issue. It would be absolutely devastating. I had a whole home shut off in the previous house, so I could go in and just okay. inside the house. I could Before I went on vacation, I could just walk and shut it off so I knew right. I wouldn't have a water issue. And, and it's just amazing to me how many people just don't care. But But the insurance companies are the ones who are underwriting and part of it is because the insurance companies will pay for it. And so that's why they, they should care and they do care. And we're excited to see them getting on board with this. So look, where uh, people can get more information on your website. That's uh, waterheroinc.com. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. And and what's your closing message for the insurance companies out there? Yeah, I, I think, guys, try some small experiments. You know, take take some chances. This is your number one controllable claim. That There's a lot of money on the table, a huge amount of money. And the technology is there. It gets better and better too every year. I mean, right now we've got whole house, our next generation. The cool thing about these connected products, they keep getting better and better. It's almost like Tesla where you're not buying a car. It's a computer on wheels. And same thing for us. We're constantly improving the product. We can improve the firmware. We're looking at moisture sensors integration down the road where we'll actually have a whole family of sensors. You could have additional temperature, humidity sensors. So you might want to heavy up somewhere with a moisture sensor or put in your sump pump area because it may not be plumbing, but it could be groundwater coming up. So the technology is just going to get better and better and better. But someone's got to just, you know, just step up to the plate and show some leadership, really. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Rob, closing comments? Oh, Dad, it's great to have you on. I, I'm curious about the price point. You talked about the technology getting better. I thought that was great. And, and Tesla's a great example of that and, and you know, new generations. So we mentioned the $699. Do you expect that that, that price point will, will come down over time? Because that'll definitely drive adoption as well, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, over time, it's all about volume. So as we can ramp up and get greater volume, you know, we'll get better prices from TI. We'll get better prices on just uh, printed circuit boards, the electronics. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I think over time, those prices should definitely drive downward. And it's, you know, and we're, we're seeing good adoption around the country. Texas is actually probably our third biggest market. Mm, so awesome. it pretty much goes by population. But yeah, um, yeah we and we do it. People have those hot water heaters down there. In the attic. Scares the crap out of them. <laughs> Tanked, not tankless. Tanked hot water heaters. Uh, I have tankless. I'm a tankless guy, right? Right. I mean, and, and mine are on the outer wall by the water main. So there's the water main and then there's tankless. And so they face out. If they flood, if they rust out, it just dumps water outside. Right, right. <laughs> it's it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I remember my first house had the taint hot water heater in the attic. This was this was two thousand four, and I about lost my mind. I was I was <laughs> why on earth would you suspend forty gallons above my head? That makes no sense. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Onward and upward. Thank you so much uh, for joining on with us today, and uh, we appreciate you being here, Dan. And uh, best wishes with the business. My pleasure. No, same to you. Just uh, stay safe down there. 
Yep. And uh, I really enjoyed being on your show. Thanks, awesome. guys. Great. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge. It's jbknowledge.com. It's all about technology. It's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com. New website, by the way. Uh, with co-host Rob Galbraith, endofinsurance.com. Go read his book. It's good. Thanks to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer, Kara Daltonara, our creative producer. And thank you for joining us today. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time.